So one of our producers, Covert Odward, has this fascination with the banyan tree of Bengal, India. Before he talked to us about this, I have to admit, I had no idea what a banyan tree was. But COVID did. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful tree that's native to tropical environments all over the world, but also my homeland, Bengal. The city where we're from, which is Kolkata, which is like the main city in West Bengal, it's this big like urban metropolis. But at the same time, it's just like full of these trees of the jungle. And like New York, it's got trees, right? But it, it feels like the way they're planted, it's kind of gridlocked, it goes with the streets. The banyans grow like wild there. So it's a very different feel. And I found that like fascinating. So this is kind of cool though. Like what does a tree look like? It's not your typical tree, right? Because it's not like just a trunk. Instead, you have all these vines that are like weaving together and they all kind of accumulate in this big canopy at the top. And then other vines kind of fall down from that canopy and then become trunks themselves as they wrap around each other. So then it starts to become like this whole grove if it lives for long enough. And what, I don't know, why did this feel like something that stayed with you after the trip? I mean, literally when you came back, this is all you wanted to talk about, this tree. Yeah. I think it's just because it's so, such a powerful natural thing. And yet I was seeing it in this city, like a city bigger than New York City. And it was everywhere. I thought there was something so humbling about that. One of the one of the great cities of this world can be kind of like overtaken by nature. And I thought that was beautiful, you know? Completely. COVID went on to discuss how living in Westchester, New York, we can feel the sense of monotony. Being so steeped in a New York high school environment, it can be so easy to forget the shifting power of the natural world. But the banyan tree was a reminder that where he lives, Westchester, and all the things that it came to mean for him, it isn't eternal. It's alive. It's animalistic. And yet the world, people, we grow around it. We change. But it, the banyan, it doesn't change at all. It stays behind glass, like in a museum. Today's episode, Spaced Out. When the places we live and work in shift suddenly. We have two pieces today. COVID's trek to India and Anthony Cap on several computer changes to his favorite sport. European football. I'm Evan Madden, and this is Discourse. Here's COVID again. The banyan tree is a loosely defined set of tree species, native to many tropical environments. It's not your typical tree. Instead of a single trunk with branches growing out of it, the banyan looks more like a a network of vines in the shape of a tree. It begins its life as a sapling embedded into another tree. In this form, it grows slowly. It has to rely entirely on nutrients in the air, 
in the rain or in the little crevice it's in, growing slowly and inconspicuously, reaching its roots towards the ground. Once they get there, the young banyan has access to an amount of water and energy it never did before. Now stronger, it uses its roots to envelop the host tree's trunk and roots, growing branches and competing with the host for light and water. Eventually, the host loses. Most jungle saplings of other species don't make it. The forest floor is dark, drowned out by the canopy of the older trees who won yesteryear's race, and so saplings have to shoot up in a mad scramble to reach the light. But the banyan tree is different. It starts high up, waiting, growing slowly and biding its time, until suddenly it gains the strength to overpower its host, blocking its access to light and nutrients. The dead host tree will decompose, leaving behind a trunk-shaped yet hollow network of roots with a canopy of the banyan's leaves on top. This makes the banyan a strangler fig. It's an interesting noun for a tree, strangler. It makes the banyan sound like a force of nature, so fierce. But the banyan isn't just any strangler fig. What makes it special is its accessory trunks. It'll grow these adventitious roots, basically roots that develop in midair and grow downwards until they touch the ground, which eventually start to function as trunks of their own, supporting the tree's future growth. Adventitious structures is a technical term used to describe plant structures that develop in unusual anatomical positions, like roots in midair. Frankly, I'd never heard of the word adventitious before I heard about this term, but it means unplanned, or spontaneous, or out of the blue. The banyan grows at a whim, out of wherever it pleases. I find something about that so alluring. It's amorphous, yet in a way that makes it stronger, trunk by trunk. I think this captures the banyan's character well. It's spontaneous, uninhibited, dynamic. I don't like it when things feel stagnant or inevitable. Sometimes I do fall into that feeling, though. I'm a high school student in a suburb called Mamaronik, a commuter train out of New York City. Every day I step out of school and behind me is this monolith of a building. In front of me is Boston Post Road, also known as US Route 1, 2,370 miles of concrete that spans from Florida to Maine. Something about that atmosphere gives me this inextricable sense of going through the motions. Up and down the post road, through school in sync with the bells, until the day I come out with a college acceptance and a diploma. 
it can just feel very boring. Like, so long as I put my head down, work hard, there's a place in society I should be trying to earn. As if I'm not creative in my life, but just living some archetype. We live in an era of human society that's conducive to that kind of feeling. There used to be so many untrodden paths, parts of the world unmapped, whole fields yet to be founded, places for us to grow into. Now it all feels rather paved over. In most ways, that's actually a good thing. It means we, collectively, know more, have tried more, and are more interconnected as a species. But still, I think a lot of the things I do and like come from a desire to escape from that sense. My main hobby from ages 5 to 14 was world-building, or as I called it back then, land-making. I would fill up my notebooks with fictional universes, lands, cultures, cities, peoples, characters, ways of life. One of my favorite universes was in this little blue moleskin notebook I had. Each page on the left was a pencil-drawn sketch of a planet, along with small sketches of its flora and fauna with scribbled notes describing the ecosystems and the scenery. The right page had a sketch of the intelligent humanoids that lived on that planet. I loved picturing these worlds and imagining what it would be like to lead a life on one of them. If I'm being honest, some of the Banyan's traits make it feel more authentically alien than a lot of the stuff I came up with in that notebook. The Banyan can spread indefinitely laterally due to its ability to generate new trunks. The Great Banyan, outside Kolkata, West Bengal, India, is 250 years old. The thing is 18,918 square meters. A road was built around its circumference, which it has since continued to grow beyond, and people amputated its original trunk to save it from fungal infection. Let me just reiterate that. This tree is 18,918 square meters and can survive without its original trunk. Yet this powerful, spontaneous, and seemingly infinite force is dependent on an unlikely creature, the wasp. Female wasps lay their eggs inside this open receptacle on the banyan, called the siconium, and in doing so, they pollinate it. This allows the siconium to mature into a fig, whose seeds can grow into new banyans. But this process for the female wasp is gruesome. She comes into the world as a larva, encased in the fig, and is already pregnant. A mature male has already mated with her prior to her birth. That male doesn't even have wings and creates a tunnel for the female wasp 
out of the fig innards and into the outside world. The male then dies upon its escape. Then the female escapes through said tunnel, matures, and spends the rest of her life looking for a siconium to lay her eggs in. The issue is, the opening that she has to get into is smaller than she is, so she will lose her legs and antenna trying to get in there, dying a painful death in the process. This opening will then mature into the fig, then the males will hatch, impregnate her female eggs, and the gruesome cycle will repeat. Now, I can complain about feeling bound by life in modern society, but as humans, we sure have it a hell of a lot easier than female wasps. We're not born pregnant and compelled by instinct to die a terrible death. Without the wasps' vain life, however, the banyan's figs could never grow and it could never spread. On the way out of the initial tunnel, the fig wasp picks up pollen which she deposits on the same cavity she deposits her eggs in, which is what allows the fig to grow around them in the first place. Such a little creature's suffering is needed for this glorious force of nature to survive. And glorious it is. I think this is well demonstrated by its role in Hinduism. Krishna, who is the supreme god of protection, compassion, tenderness, and love, is said to rest at the banyan tree. His depiction as a baby is as a cosmic infant sucking his toe while floating on a banyan leaf. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, There is a banyan tree which has its roots upward and its branches down, and the Vedic hymns are its leaves. One who knows this tree is the knower of the Vedas. The upside-down banyan is used to express this imagery of reflection. In our lives, we see trees with downward-facing branches and upward-facing roots as the waterborne reflection of regular trees. However, what Krishna is saying here is that supposedly upright trees in our world are also, in a sense, upside-down, as they are a reflection of the spiritual world. I think it's awe-inspiring that the very same organism built on this terrible Darwinian brutality, both the life of the mother wasp and the death of the host tree, can grow to the size of a grove without its main trunk. And I think it's beautiful that this same organism seems like a suitable home for cosmic babies and supreme gods, and that it seems like an apt subject for beautiful 1900-year-old metaphors describing the nature of the universe. A few weeks back, on my visit to my motherland, Bengal, my uncle pointed at a large nearby banyan on a hill and chuckled before remarking, I used to go to school there. I took a closer look at the tree, which was walled off on a small lot of land, and realized that, sure enough, it had not grown on a hill, but on a small stone building. This wasn't a disheveled actor telling me through the TV screen about how the plants took over the city after the apocalypse. No, it was my uncle, and he didn't grow up attending a remote village school in the jungle, 
but in Kolkata, a city of 15 million voters known as the City of Joy, historic trading capital of India, and center of revolutionary thought from the independence movement onward. And you can feel it there. You see the faces of independence fighters glorified in murals. You see political party flags, communist party flags, lining every last street corner. And it's just a big and spirited place. Driving through the streets, you'll see a cacophonous mix of foot pedestrians, rusty bike rickshaws, homemade makeshift vehicles made from old truck motors, now electric tuk-tuks, cars and mini-trucks adorned with vibrant and often nationalist decorations. There, the right-of-way goes to whoever is ahead. You'll feel like you're in a video game driving. The buildings are often painted in bright blues, oranges, pinks, greens, and yellows, though those that aren't maintained get stained black from the pollution. Everyone wears these same bright colors, so wherever you look, the people, the buildings, the clothes lines, the trucks, it's vibrant. It's an Indian metropolis. And yet, there's still room for the banyan. It bends the corrugated tin ceiling of the bookseller's street stand. It grows tangled with the communist flag. It tears through the tarp of a man's pop-up snack stall. It consumes the defunct school of an uncle now approaching his 60s. People read and eat and believe in their politics and go to school. Not so differently from me. And yet the physical structures of their lives could suddenly just get subsumed into this beautiful organism of the jungle. When I look at Boston Post Road and Mamaroneck High School, their brick and asphalt feel eternal. Yet, in Kolkata, where there are banyans, I was reminded that they are temporary. Human structures may be strong, but earthly life, the instinct of the mother wasp, the spontaneous strength of the banyan, and individual human will, I'd like to think, are ultimately stronger. Kobe Odeward, one of the producers of our show, in the days after COVID wrote this piece, he booked a trip for his summer out west. His pursuit of the banyan has piqued his interest. Now he wants to go seek out the giant sequoia tree. Up next, what happens when the sport that everyone counts on changes? This is Evan Madden. This is Discourse. Stay with us. Sports are so ritualistic, but they're also really reliant on tradition. What happens when that tradition changes, though? Recently, FIFA, the global body of governing of football, decided that it would institute this remote refereeing system to eliminate any human error, particularly when it comes to ambiguous handballs and offside calls. For Anthony Cap, one of our producers, this was exhilarating and completely frightening for him. 
Here was the sport that Anthony grew up with. By the way, he's European by blood and also Polish and super into football. But the machine, the idea of making these calls as a non-human just didn't sit right with him. And watching its effects on this beautiful game made him look at his own life through its own mechanical drag. Here's Anthony. Japan versus Spain, World Cup 2022. An epic showdown between two great countries started with great goals from both teams, but little did anyone know that the most pivotal moment of the game was yet to come. It was a ball that seemed to have crossed the line and was out of bounds from every camera angle on television. Against all odds, the ball was deemed in play. Japan seized this opportunity and turned the game on its head, crushing any hopes Spain had for victory. This all happened because of the new virtual assistant referee system created and implemented by the Federation Internationale, the Football Association, the governing body of the World Cup. The VAR system records footage of play from various angles as well as computer algorithms with the intent of allowing referees to make more accurate and fair calls. Yet, the system has been the source of various controversial decisions, resulting in a debate that puts the existence of VAR into question. The VAR system or Virtual Assistant Referee System, was developed by FIFA through countless years, finally being implemented in 2016 in a friendly match between PSV and SC Eindhoven, two football clubs based in Eindhoven, Netherlands. The system worked by allowing a qualified referee who watches the match via a number of screens and can view slow-motion replays, enabling them to advise the on-field referee. At the time, it was considered revolutionary, giving the referees the option to look at a computer-generated answer, countless number of angles, and speaking with a VAR team to make important decisions that could have been missed due to human error. People hoped the system would finally dispel any risk of bias and rid the sport of arbitrary decisions by referees that enraged fans. The 2018 World Cup was the first to introduce the system, a major milestone as it was the first major tournament where it was implemented. Nonetheless, the largest tournament. It debuted with incredible success according to FIFA, saying that it had over 99.3% accuracy and over 335 incidents caught. Many soccer fans loved it too. In games where people thought refs were being paid off by big clubs, VAR provided the opportunity to remove opinion from the decisions and let viewers just focus on different angles of footage provided in front of them. Others loved it because it created a team of referees that drastically lowered the chance of a big play being missed. During my first visit to Utah for a ski trip, I witnessed one of the first few games that VAR was implemented in. The commentators were buzzing with excitement, the fans were cheering on, and the players were at ease, knowing that every move would be closely scrutinized. Long gone were the days, people thought, of mistakes slipping through the cracks of referees that cost teams entire games, or even tournaments. This was supposed to be a revolutionary moment in football, introducing the future, which theoretically created the most fair means to play. However, around this time, 
its first criticism was received at the FIFA Confederations Cup for creating as much confusion as clarity. During the Cup, the system created confused teams by leading to delayed decisions, confusion about when to use the VAR system, and demoralizing players through bad decisions. As more games were being played with the system, more controversies were created, such as when Croatia's penalty was cancelled because one of their players, Lovren, was in the wrong position when the ball was passed to them. And then Valencia's goal was also disallowed because he was in an offside position. The notion of VAR being a saving grace to football was fading away as people were getting frustrated with the system. Is changing it really a good idea? Most of the time when I watch football, I do it with my father. It's become a tradition. Similarly, my trip to Utah in 2016 soon became a tradition within my family. I visit once a year with my mom and a new group of friends, and we would go to the same Hyatt Hotel on the edge of Salt Lake City facing the Little Cottonwood Canyon, visiting a new mountain each time. On my first visit, I was stunned by the beauty, watching the enormous mountains on the airplane, the skyline of Salt Lake City had a huge contrast of that compared to New York City. On the ground, traveling to my hotel, I was able to admire the countless feet of dry and light snow. After every year of visiting, I was able to create a routine that I would find myself repeating countless times. We continued through these steps every single year, no matter what stood in our way. We built a tradition, a routine, something that we could all look forward to as a family. The lack of uncertainty gave us a comfort that we all appreciated. While on a plane ride back to New York, my thoughts wandered to why I was constantly feeling better when I was in Utah. This especially became more prominent to me as I grew older, and the growing pains became to invade my life, one year at a time. Many times, especially during the later years of my high school career, I found myself to be depressed, oversensitized, lacking energy, and feeling dull. Whether it was my workload or piles of extracurricular activities, I felt tunnel vision in school. I lost sight of why I was working so diligently, and I only thought about school, losing my appreciation for the surroundings around me, my friends, and my family. My day consisted of either doing work for school or staring at my screen to fill a void of emptiness that was growing due to my obsession with school. Like the VAR system, I lost sight of what I was working for. The obsession and tunnel vision about school that was a result of me trying to fix my problem eventually led me to pushing it too far and feeling lost. However, while being on the chairlift, I realized that my constant thoughts about school disappeared. As cliche as that sounds, it was true. I was able to find peace within myself and through the nature around me but more importantly, without the distractions found through technology. As my screen time dropped from hours to mere minutes on the mountain, I found myself to be in a hypnotic state where I felt truly free from the mental constraints I felt at home. The tunnel vision of the VAR system created a version of football that lacked resemblance to its traditional state. Through the implementation of itself, it created the very problem it was meant to solve, confusion. 
the implementation of the system created a game that took away from the core of football. It took away the human spirit and involvement and replaced it with a machine that seemingly no one was satisfied with. Through tradition, I realized that going back to your roots is what truly makes a difference. I believe the same could be said for the VAR system. While technology has given us endless opportunities on the pitch and at home, sticking to our roots and tradition is what creates personality, and it embodies the human spirit. The VAR system on paper is a success, but in reality, it has created a community that is far too focused on superficial measurements instead of what makes football so incredibly unique. Through technology, we have created a false perception of what we truly want. We manufactured a belief system that through technology, we are able to be more happy. But in reality, when looking at a VAR as an example, or Twitter as an example, it always ends in the same thing. Disappointment. I give VAR system two stars. Today's episodes were written and narrated by Kovid Odward and Anthony Cap. Today's episode was produced by Stevie Drogikakis, Roel Jimenez, Donia Dami, Kovid Odward, and our own Evan Madden. Music given to us by Blue Dot Sessions and Anushka Shankar. 